Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Thank you. Thanks for the welcome and uh, welcome to those of us joining us online and in our other centres. Great to have you with us today as well as we come into part two of this series on the kingdom. Looking at the parables of Jesus where he teaches us about the kingdom. Today is entitled The Overcoming Kingdom. It's the good news that the kingdom has come and because the kingdom has come, we can overcome. Amen? Because the king is here. Because the king has come, we are not those who go under, we are those who can triumph over the challenges we face, we're part of an overcoming kingdom. So whatever you're facing today, the challenges of life, by the end of this message I want everyone encouraged, we're part of an overcoming kingdom because the king has come. Now at the same time, the parable as you've just heard read, whilst that's the big headline news, it's got some complexities and indeed Let's be honest, some challenges as well. Did you hear that? So to get us started, let me summarize the whole thing in a simple sentence with a bit of audience participation. Are you ready? Prompts on the screen. Here we go. Through Jesus, the kingdom of God is spreading across the world. (laughs) Good. And (laughs) And despite sabotage by the enemy. Evil will be destroyed, and the kingdom of God will triumph. Very good. Now, that's that's the, the parable in a sentence. But aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just give sentences, he told stories. Isn't he good? Stories are so much more engaging. You know, sentences can get us thinking about things, but stories get us feeling things. Have you noticed this? Stories are incredibly powerful ways to communicate truth in a way that moves the heart of the hearer. And that's what Jesus wanted to do when he told parables. And so one of the best definitions I've seen of a parable is simple. Parables 
are stories with intent. Jesus told the story because he intends to move us by the truth of the kingdom to change our hearts and lives. I tell stories to our children, actually. We have three children, and most evenings, either Charlotte or myself will tell a story from a book, read a story from a book. But about once a week, often on Fridays, uh, the kids will say, Dad, can we have a story out of your mouth? Now, (laughs) this is code language in our family for, put the books aside, can you make up a story out of your mouth? Which actually is a pretty daunting thing to have to do on the spot, right? Pray for me. Most of my stories are, um, are actually themed on Davy the dragon. Uh, he's a, a naughty dragon with a good heart uh, who likes eating sheep, right? Every Friday night, I tell them a different story about Davy the dragon. And to be honest, they're not just stories. They're stories with a parent's intent, right? The basic plot line of my, of my Davy the dragon stories are pretty predictable. It goes something like this. Davy's parents give him wise advice, right? Unfortunately, naughty dragons lead him astray into trouble, and he ends up wishing that he'd done what his parents had told him all along. (laughs) Would you like to hear one of these stories? (laughs) Yeah, maybe next week. The, The point is, they're not just stories. They're stories with a parent's intent, right? To move the heart through a story, hopefully to influence our children. Well, back to Jesus. He told stories, parables, stories with intent. And when we read them, we should ask, so what's the big intention of Jesus? How does he want to move us? Now, you may have noticed with this one, it comes unusually in two stages. He tells the parable, and he does this when he's outdoors with a large crowd by the lake. There, he more generally, more vaguely, paints the picture of the parable story. But then he goes indoors with his disciples, and when he's alone with the disciples, they turn to him and say, you know, Jesus, you know the one about the wheats and the weeds? What was that about? They didn't get it. So he then goes back through the parable, almost annotating every feature in the story and labeling it so that we absolutely do not miss the point. Now, with all of that in mind, let me summarize with the help of Vincent van Gogh. Did you know van Gogh, the Dutch painter, he actually painted this parable in three pictures because the parable comes in three scenes, and I want to talk through those three scenes today, each of them with a teaching point. So the first one, you'll see here his painting. The first scene is of a farmer who goes out to sow into the whole field his good seed, and here it's a picture of the kingdom coming. So point one, be optimistic, the kingdom has come. But then under cover of night, in the same field, the scene two switches to a dark character, a shadowy figure, who comes in to deliberately sabotage the crop, agricultural sabotage, right? He sows weeds in amongst the wheat that grow up together. And then finally, in scene three, it's harvest time. The weeds and the wheat that have grown together are now separated out, The weeds are burned and destroyed, but the wheat shine in glory. The third point, be evangelistic, the kingdom has come. So we're going to go through those three together, and with each one make a simple point. The first of them, scene one, be optimistic, the kingdom has come. If you hear the parable, you'll have heard that from the very beginning to the end, this parable is of a kingdom that despite opposition and sabotage, always overcomes. Did you notice at the beginning, 
that Jesus tells the story and then he labels it very clearly that the sower and the seed and the field should be understood this way. Verse 37 to 38, he says this, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. So Jesus is the sower. The field is the world and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. Notice then the scale of the parable. This field is not just Israel or even just the church. This field is the whole world. Literally in Greek, it's whole cosmos. This parable is on a cosmic scale. Now, this is actually, if you think about the moment that Jesus said this, it's pretty extraordinary, pretty audacious. Here is a Jewish carpenter in a house with a few disciples under Roman occupation, and he announces, I've come to bring a kingdom which, whose seed is so virulent and fertile and potent that it is going to fill the whole world. <laughs> now, I think if you'd been there around 30 AD, you'd have looked at Jesus and thought, that's optimistic, right? But we would conclude 2,000 years on, that this parable was in fact a true prophecy. Amen? The kingdom of Jesus of Nazareth has indeed spread from Palestine to Peterborough and Leicester and London to the ends of the earth. This is indeed the overcoming kingdom. And despite sabotage and opposition, no one and nothing stops the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? The kingdoms of this world rise and fall, but the kingdom of Jesus reigns forever. When Jesus told this parable, the whole world, as far as they were concerned, was under the seemingly immovable rule of the Roman Empire. Where now is the Roman Empire, right? It's gone. It's confined to the history books and Latin lessons. Some of us had to endure those. The Roman Empire is gone. More recently, there used to be something called the British Empire. We used to have one of those. Do you remember it? No, no, you don't because it's gone, right? We may still sing rule Britannia, but the sun long since set on the British Empire. These kingdoms of the world, they seem so permanent and dominant, but actually they rise and fall. It's the kingdom of Jesus that's still with us. Extraordinary. And I wonder if you've ever thought, you know, we're now left with the United Kingdom. The British Empire's gone. We're just about a United Kingdom, right? Despite the best efforts of the SNP and Plaid Cymru, we're still just about united, right? But I wonder if you've ever thought, will the United Kingdom for our great-grandchildren, will that be something that they read about in their history books? Now, I'm not wishing it away, but I'm simply making the point. Who knows? But of one thing we can be sure, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ will be there for our great-grandchildren. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is then the overcoming kingdom that fills the whole world. And notice, if that's the start of the parable, notice the end of the parable. Where is this kingdom of Jesus headed? Or more particularly, if you are part of this kingdom of Jesus, where are you headed in the end? Verse 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That is where you are headed if you are part of this overcoming kingdom. If today you align yourself with Jesus Christ, you've just jumped on board a kingdom that is destined for glory. 
And if you join it, you also will experience the glory of Jesus shining like the sun. You know, right now in September, a lot of people are busy placing bets because the football season has begun and everyone's hoping to bet on the winning team, especially to bet on a Leicester City story, right? 5,000 to 1 odds. And the idea is, I'm no betting man, but I get the idea, you want to put your money on a team that because of their performance and winning in the end means because of their performance, you profit, right? Now, I want to discourage you from going to the bookies, but I want to encourage you, bet your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've just backed the winning team. (laughs) By the end of the season, there will be glory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You will shine like the sun. Because not of our performance, but because of his performance, all that he's done for us, we will profit in his glory. When he said, you'll shine like the sun, I can only imagine the disciples would have looked at that dazzling Mediterranean sunshine and thought, what does that mean? About four chapters later, Jesus led those same disciples up a mountain, and there we read, there Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his his clothes became as white as light. As they saw him transfigured, looking no longer as a mere mortal human, but shining with the glory of God, they realized he just promised them that's your future. If you stick with me, you will be transfigured from this shadowy world of sin and suffering and Satan and death. All of those shadows will disappear and we will shine like the sun in the glory of Jesus. That's how this overcoming kingdom finishes, and that's how we end up if we align ourselves, if you bet your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. So from start to finish, this parable says, be optimistic. This kingdom, this overcoming kingdom has come. And when we experience the power of Jesus in our lives, when we become Christians, we should never be pessimistic. Amen? We're part of an optimistic, overcoming kingdom. No situation is a write-off and no individual is a write-off because the king has come. Aslan is on the move and therefore things can change. From the big and global scale to the very local and personal level, we're part of an overcoming kingdom. In our life group last week, one of our life group members, who's only just herself recently come to faith and become part of the church, she shared that one of her relatives had been taken very ill very suddenly. It had rapidly deteriorated. She'd just been moved to intensive care, was in a coma and sedated. So she led the life group, this brand new Christian, in prayer. When she got home, by the end of that evening, she had a phone call to be told that she was now out of a coma and no longer sedated and had come round. That's the power of this overcoming kingdom. We pray. We pray to a king who brings in his kingdom with power. So whatever your challenges, whatever you're facing, do not be pessimistic. Be optimistic, the kingdom has come. But then in scene two, the scene changes from the sower sowing good seed to this evil shadowy figure bringing agricultural sabotage in the same field. The new scene says, be realistic, Evil has not yet gone. Be optimistic, not pessimistic. That's point one. But be realistic, not triumphalistic. That's scene two. 
You see, into the good seed of God, into the good field of God's work, we now find that one that Jesus identifies as the devil has come to frustrate and sabotage God's work. In other words, scene two says, wherever God is at work, you can also bet that the devil will be at work, sowing seeds of doubt and fear and temptation and hatred and pride to try and thwart the good purpose of God in people's lives. This word for weeds is not any old kind of weed. In Greek, the word is zizania, which is referring to a very specific weed called darnel, and it was the bane of Middle Eastern farmers because it was actually a mutant or degenerate form of wheat. And so when wheat and this particular weed began to grow, they looked identical. The stalks were, and stems were identical. It was only when it came to harvest point that this weed produced no wheat or heads of wheat, but instead empty husks that became a host for a poisonous fungus. In other words, something very similar is growing in the same plot of land. You've got the good wheat, the work of God, and you've got the bad weeds, the work of evil. They're both growing together. And did you notice that the farmer, God in the parable, he decides not to pull them up immediately, the weeds, but to allow them to grow together. Verse 30, let them grow together until the harvest. Now, in other words, what Jesus is painting in this picture is the real world in which we live in the same field. In the same world, there, are, there is a work of God and there is a work of his enemy. There's good and there's evil. They're competing forces within the same plot of land, so to speak. Now, I don't know about you, but this makes sense of the real world. We should not be discouraged by the presence of the weeds. Be optimistic. We know who wins in the end. Amen? But be realistic. Don't be surprised that there's still quite a few weeds around, right? There's still the presence and evidence of evil in our world. Jesus said there would be. This parable says, be realistic. Evil has not yet gone. Now, that explains a few things. Have you noticed that sometimes you can do the right thing, be faithful to the Lord, sow good seed, and as well as his work, you can still see that some weeds grow up, right? Some things come to frustrate the work and the ministry that we look to put forward in the name of the Lord. It's not unopposed in this life. Have you noticed, for example, I, I, I see this with our children. We've basically, on the whole, got good kids, but we only ever teach them to do the right thing. And yet, have you noticed with kids, some weeds can appear, right? I'm not going to go into any details, but parents back me up here. Is there anyone else in this camp as well? We do our best as parents. We only teach them to do the right thing, but occasionally, there is some, where do they come from? Well, in the same field, this is the parable, in the same field, there are two different forces at work. You may be witnessing to someone at work or in your family, and you only love them and care and share the good news of Jesus, but you've noticed that there are other influences that sometimes can keep people from believing in Jesus. We are not unopposed in our work for the Lord in this world. We need to be realistic and optimistic all at the same time. And that actually helps to set our perspective for ministry and encourages us, as if you like the wheat, to flourish in spite of the presence of the weeds. Now, I think a couple of things particularly stand out for me. If this is true, if this is real life, firstly, this parable says, so be patient. Have you noticed that the story this week and last week, the parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, compares the kingdom 
to seed growing in the ground. Now, this is not what the disciples were expecting. They were expecting a Messiah who would instantly bring the kingdom of God overnight. The Messiah would come today, and the Romans would be gone tomorrow, right? The good, the good Lord would come today, and evil would be gone tomorrow. And this parable says, no, 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 be realistic. Actually, we live in a context where the kingdom comes like seed sown in the ground. Now, if there's one thing I've learned from my, largely my wife's allotment, we have an allotment, if there's one thing we've learned, it takes a while to grow things, all right? That's about as green as my fingers get. The observation is it takes a while to grow things. I can remember when we first got the allotment, we took our children to it, they were a bit younger then, and um, we got them uh, digging a trench and sowing carrot seed, I think it was, and, uh, and then watering it, and they were very excited. And I think only three days later, we came back, and they rushed to the plot of ground. They looked at it, and their faces fell. They, I remember they stood over it as I came over and said, it didn't work, Daddy, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't work. I think Jesus tells this parable to us as if to say, my dear children, be patient. The kingdom comes as seed sown in the ground. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus, the kingdom comes into your life, but that doesn't mean you'll reach maturity overnight. It doesn't mean all things will be sorted instantly. Be patient. Keep watering the seed in prayer and devotion to the Lord, and the seed grows and the kingdom overcomes. Be patient. And then also this says, stay positive. If the real world, as Jesus told us it would be, is a mixture of wheat and weeds, good and evil, let's not be surprised by the challenges and evil in our world. You see, sometimes I think in the past, Christians have almost been surprised by the way that evil continues and prospers at times, and therefore have become a little bit defensive. We can end up on the back foot becoming a bit negative about the world and society, standing back from it all to criticize it and talk about how terrible and wicked things are in the world around us. This parable says, no, 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 stay on the front foot, stay positive. Our calling is not to become like weed killer, <laughs> trying to kill off the weeds. Our calling is to be wheat that shines positively in the world. Stay on the front foot Yes, there are a lot of weeds, but Jesus said there would be. There's a lot of wheat as well, and this wheat, we are called to bring hope to the world around us by staying positive and sharing the good news in Jesus' name. Let's not find ourselves over in a corner criticizing the darkness. Let's find ourselves lighting as many candles as we can. Amen? Here's how John MacArthur puts it in his commentary on this parable. He says this, in this present age, Believers are not God's instruments of judgment, but of redemption. We are not to have hearts of condemnation, but of compassion. We're not called to be weed killer. We're called to be wheat that brings hope and good news throughout this field in Jesus' name. Now, I know that's our absolute commitment as a church. We're turning inside out with a desire to take the good news of Jesus on the front foot, staying positive, out into every corner of this field. Amen? Over the summer, we've been loving our city across all our centers. And as we go into this week, that's our intention, is to stay positive and in all sorts of ministries, happening in all sorts of 
context in our cities, Christians are out there, whether it's through CAP or CareZone or Food Bank, all these wonderful initiatives are Christians' way of saying, yes, there's a lot of weeds, but we are going to stay positive and bring hope in Jesus' name. That's our calling. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 12, I love this verse. He simply says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. Don't become negative. Stay positive and overcome the evil with good. It may be very easy, feel very easy to be here as a Christian on a Sunday worshipping the Lord together. You may be going back to a challenging context on a Monday where it can feel like you're surrounded, like you're the only one in your office or workplace. Listen, I want to encourage you. He said it would be a bit like this. Be realistic But at the same time, stay positive, be patient, and overcome evil with good in Jesus' name. Now, all of that is even more important when we consider the third and final scene of this parable. In scene three, it's harvest time, captured in this image here. And this simple point I want to make in scene three is this. Be evangelistic. The end is in sight. Be evangelistic, the end is in sight. Now, by the word evangelistic, I mean one who shares good news. And it's not just a church word. I I heard that Apple, the, the big technology company, Apple in the past have commissioned evangelists. And the idea is that they are ones who share good news. The good news is Apple products. But there's also a context of bad news. Apple want to save the world from bad technology, PCs or whatever it may be. So the Apple evangelist is both bringing good news and saving the world from the hellish reality of PC. Is that kind of making sense? Forget the technology, right? The point is, to be evangelistic is to have a double motivation. We have good news to share, and there is bad news for those who do not receive it. And this parable finishes, Jesus finishes it in a very honest and straightforward description of the fact that a harvest time is coming when the wheat and the weeds will be separated from one another. There's good news for the wheat. They will shine like the sun, but there is bad news for the weeds. He puts it this way in verse 40. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Here Jesus is speaking about that harvest day. At the moment, The Lord allows the wheat and the weeds to grow together, sharing the same schools and offices and homes and communities and even churches. That that all is allowed to continue, but not indefinitely. The end is in sight. And when the end comes, what has grown together and looked at times so similar will face completely contrasting destinies. This is as different for the wheat and the weeds as heaven and hell, as light and and darkness. And the Lord Jesus Christ speaks very directly, very honestly with us because he knows that these realities are true and because he loves us in speaking the truth. I don't personally find it easy to talk about these very straight realities, but the motivation is clear. Jesus loves this world. That's why he came into it. But the kindest thing he can do is be honest. And the honest truth is this. Those who believe in Jesus Christ and receive his kingdom will shine like the sun. 
But those who refuse Jesus Christ and work evil will face hellish darkness. And it's as simple and as stark as that. And there is no fence, and there are no exceptions, and this is Jesus speaking. He told this parable for a good reason. Stories with intent. Now actually, if you think about it, if he knows this is true, because he's the eternal son of God, so he's come from eternity with a clear experience of these realities, if he knows it's true, what's the kindest thing he can do but tell us the truth, right? Would you agree? I mean, imagine an accountant who was so kind and loving that when their clients went into the red, they never told them. (laughs) Is that kind and loving? Imagine a doctor who was just so nice that whenever bad results came back, they didn't tell the patients. Is that kind? Imagine God's son came into the world and never told us the bad news that he knew about. That would not be loving or nice. But he's too good for that. He's too compassionate, and so he lays it on the table very straight. And today I want to encourage you, if you are not yet part of Jesus' kingdom, you've heard this message today because there's still time. And because you have an opportunity in this moment to receive the kingdom and be saved eternally. I also want you to see, if you have received this kingdom, I want you to notice that when Jesus is outdoors telling this parable to the whole crowd, he's actually quite general, even a bit vague, about this end time judgment, heaven and hell reality. It's when he goes indoors with his disciples that he really turns up the volume and makes it crystal clear that there's a heaven and hell and a day of judgment to come. Now here's the point. This is not then a message that Jesus shouted at the crowds and the world. It's a message that he took to his disciples to say, be evangelistic. The end is in sight. He didn't use it to bring condemnation to those who are not his people. He used it to bring motivation to those who are his people. Amen? We need to be reminded this morning that this kingdom that we're talking about has eternal consequences for those that we love, and he wants to motivate us to be active in every way we can to bring hope in Jesus' name. You know, the simple truth is this, from this parable, that our friends and work colleagues and neighbors and family members, they may seem nice and fine and to be having a great time possibly through life, but the simple truth from this parable is that in the end, from the end, with that view in mind, our friends and family desperately need Jesus. It's as simple as that. They desperately, whatever they look like, wheat and the weeds look the same, whatever they look like, they desperately need Jesus. And he's positioned us strategically as kingdom ambassadors to bring hope in his name. And that means that as we walk out of Sunday into Monday, we don't just go into an everyday mundane world. We don't just sit next to ordinary people at work. We are part of a kingdom that has eternal destinies at stake. There is no such thing as an ordinary person. We are not just animals here today and gone tomorrow. We're human beings. We have eternal destinies that are being decided in history. And so as we sit next to people tomorrow, it's no, there's no ordinary moment there. Our lives in the everyday. Why did Jesus tell parables with everyday characters in? A farmer sows seed in a field. That's the sort of thing his hearers just saw every day. Why did he do that? Because he wants us to take 
this vision of eternal reality and map it onto our everyday lives. Take this into the scenes that you see on your everyday daily basis and allow it to motivate you to live with eternity in mind. With all of that in mind, I love a quote by C.S. Lewis that captures the fact that in that sense, there are no such things as ordinary people or mere mortals. We all have an eternal destiny that is being decided in and through the everyday interactions that we have on a daily basis. Listen to how he puts it in his work, The Weight of Glory. He says this, All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. (laughs) But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. They will be either immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? The United Kingdom, all that it represents as an institution and a nation, is nothing compared to your neighbor. They are the ones who have an eternal destiny ahead, and we are the ones who are commissioned by this parable to be evangelistic and keep the end in sight. As we go back to our everyday worlds, may our vision be augmented by this parable to see that in the cut and thrust of everyday interactions, we have an opportunity to steer people towards glory and bring the light of Jesus' kingdom in his name. Amen? This parable, I believe, of Jesus has a backdrop to it that you can find and read for yourself in Daniel chapter 12. And just a couple of verses from it highlight the eternal significance Here we read in Daniel 12, listen to the echo of the parable here. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to everlasting shame. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and listen to this, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I don't know about you, I don't just want to shine like the sun myself, I want to lead many to righteousness. I want to be not only a sun shining in glory, but surrounded by a galaxy of other stars, people that I have steered and influenced to glory. That is what our everyday world, our interactions are all about. Be evangelistic, the end is in sight. Now with that sobering and challenging prospect, I wonder you know, what does that mean in our everyday lives? I mean, how do you actually live this out? Well, as I think of responding to that question, I think of my auntie Edna. She's no longer with us. She died a few years ago. But when she was alive, she was no leader or preacher, never on a platform. She was an everyday, ordinary woman, but she lived evangelistic. She had on her agenda on a daily basis in the way she lived, sharing good news in Jesus' name. 
On one occasion, in her late 80s, two thugs broke into her house while she was there, treated her badly, and stole money and possessions in her late 80s. Her response, (laughs) I remember her saying, she said, well, it's not easy for me now, she said. I've now got two more people to add to my daily prayer list. Be evangelistic. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. At her funeral, a remand officer from one of the prisons nearby came to let us know as a family that they'd caught the two guys who broke in. They were, they'd been sentenced and put in prison. And she came to tell us confidentially that one of those had given their life to Jesus Christ in prison and was now on the out and plugged into a discipleship program at a local church. Do not. Amen. As I went to that funeral and I thought about Auntie Edna, I just thought, yeah, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Who won in the end? Which kingdom? Which kingdom is victorious in the end of that story? You think about that whole incident. It's like a parable of the parable, isn't it? (laughs) Evil has broken into God's good world, intent on ruining things, right? But God's people will not be overcome by evil. However frail and old they may or may not be, they have a seed of power in Jesus Christ that can overcome the darkness and bring hope even into the very lives that were part of the problem. This is an overcoming kingdom. And we are called, therefore, on a daily basis to bring this good news in Jesus' name. My Auntie Edna had a life statement, a life saying that she repeated to us pretty often. If you met her, you heard this. It was her life statement that she lived out, and I think it pretty neatly sums up this parable, especially its conclusion. She simply lived by this statement. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Folks, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is a moment in history that has repercussions for eternity. We've got one life. It will soon be passed. It's what we do for Jesus that will last. Amen.